0: come away with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter. This is our month, October. October is a new series for us. We just had communion. But the whole year, 2021, has been a year of reset. Can you say that with me? Reset. To, today, I'm going to start a new series called Church Reset. Say that with me. Church Reset. Church Reset. Church uh, Matthew the 16th chapter thank you for your patience and bearing along with us as we express our joy in the Lord thank you hallelujah our subtopic this morning is why the church would you say that with me why the church why the church why the church, why the church? I'm glad you asked that question why the church I want to um share some staggering statistics about the church. Since the year of 2000, more than 6,000 churches in America have closed their doors to their buildings each year. That's more than 60,000 churches. And at the turn of the 1900s, there were 27 churches to every 10,000 at the start of this millennium, there were only 11 churches to every 10,000 people. And the number don't stop there. Every year, 2.7 million church members drop into inactivity. Now those the task, the statistics are uh, evident right here in our own church, our own congregation, but this is a cultural-wide and it leaves us with a question. It's not just one church where people are becoming more inactive. It is the church at large. And when we look at the world around us, when we read statistics that thousands upon thousands of churches are closing each year, we do, uh, do we ever wonder why Jesus chose the church. If people are leaving the church, why did Jesus choose the church? That's a question that we perhaps need to answer. And if our culture is an indicator, the church seems like a flawed concept. So you and I may be asking why the church? And that is a question we're going to explore today as we look at our text. Are you there, Matthew 16? As we turn there, I I want you to frame the answer we seek in a question that Jesus asked Who do you think I am? Have it with me there. Matthew uh, 16 and verse 13. I didn't give you the verse, right? Verse 13. Verse 13. Jesus had been traveling around preaching and the text tell us that he comes to a region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples a question there in verse 13 says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is verse 14 they replied some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets and so Jesus had left an impression on the culture around him people thought they knew who he was and some said he reminds me of John the Baptist you realize don't you that Jesus and John the Baptist was uh, related and so I imagine Jesus share a common appearance uh, 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 with, with John the Baptist, not only that, but John the Baptist and Jesus preached a similar message. They both preached a great deal about how the kingdom of God was near. So some say, this kind of reminds me of John the Baptist. Others were saying he reminds me of Elijah. Now, it is an intriguing uh, comparison with the two people that we're talking about, but I'm told that one of the traditions uh, the Jews have during the Jewish celebration of Passover is to put an uh, extra place setting at the table and to leave an empty seat. No one is allowed to have that spot, and where, uh, and, and when, when the children are uh, asked or a child asks about the seat, they are told that's a place for Elijah. It is the hope every Passover that Elijah will come to dine with his people. Why? Why? Because traditional Jews believe to this day that the coming of Elijah is a prelude to the coming of the Messiah. It is a belief that goes back to before Christ. I want us to catch the irony of this belief that Jesus is Elijah. Some Jews in Jesus' day see Jesus as the prelude to the Messiah rather than the Messiah himself. And still others see Jesus more like Jeremiah. Has a, you know, Jeremiah has a nickname. Y'all know that, right? You didn't know that. He is often called the weeping prophet. He was a weeping prophet because they say he's always crying about something. So we read the book of Jeremiah sometimes and he weeps bitterly because of Israel's sin and because of her captivity. And some people in Jesus' day see Jesus as a weeping prophet. So there are uh, two instances uh, I can recall where Jesus weeps. And at at the tomb of Lazarus whom Jesus would then raise from the dead and as he entered Jerusalem the week before uh, he was crucified. However uh, I have to believe that Jesus wept fairly often over Israel and over her sin if he is compared to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was weeping for Israel Because of their sin and because sin caused them to be in captivity. And in our day, we are weeping because sin has come in and causing many people to come in captivity. And that's why a lot of them are moving to being inactive Others see Jesus as an unnamed prophet. However, his name was known and he had made an impression on the culture of Israel. Now back to the text. Jesus takes the question that he asks in general and he makes it personal. He says, that's who others think I am, but what about you? Look, look, look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. are y'all listening? All Are y'all listening? All right. Okay. Look at verse 15. He says, But what about you? Okay, they got it up on the screen. You don't have your Bible with you. All right, look up here. We'll give you the scripture, okay? But what about you, he asks. Who do you say I am? So Jesus is specifically asking his disciples in this text, but that is still a relevant question to us today. In our world, every major religion has to wrestle with that question. I don't care what religion you claim as your religion, but every religion has to wrestle with the question, who do you say Jesus is? Some have chosen their answer. The atheist says, Jesus is a myth. God is simply a way for the religious to manipulate that the, the naive. and or he is for the weak-minded, who need a crutch? I beg to differ with them. I'm not weak-minded because I need a crutch. Because I need Jesus. Some of the greatest people that ever lived needed Jesus. Some of the richest people that ever lived had Jesus. Some of the most uh, uh, profitable people in this entire world, uh-huh, needed Jesus. So, it's not a crush for me, it's a relationship. It's, a, it's not a religion or re- religious experience for me, it's a relationship. I don't want to get ahead of myself, I get happy. So, the Muslims say Jesus is a prophet along the same line as Muhammad. Mohammed. I'm glad you got your dance in because I'm teaching something now. I've heard others say that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but nothing more. And some claim that the New Testament has been embellished and corrupted. So you don't believe everything the New Testament tells you. But in the question is application. That went over a lot of y'all's head right there. In the question is application. Said one more time. You'll get it tomorrow. In the question is application. And you and I have to answer the same question. Who is Jesus? Every one of us must make a choice as to who Jesus really is. Who do you and I say that Jesus is? It's important that we make That determination because what we believe about Jesus, listen, will determine what we think about church. You want me to say that one more time? What we believe about Jesus will determine what we think about church. Hold on, I'm I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. It's a question I ask when someone comes to me to talk about baptism. It has to be answered with conviction. Because baptism is one of those uh, things that Jesus told us that we should do in his absence. This is one of the ordinances along with what we just did early. What was that? Communion. And another one that we don't do often is foot washing. These are three ordinances. See, some people don't read the Bible. That Jesus said that you ought to do until I come. Okay? And so, as we look at our text, listen to how Peter responds. Now remember, Peter is one of the 12 disciples that Jesus had been training for almost three years. And listen to how Peter responds, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, understand that the word Messiah and Christ are synonymous. They both have the same meaning. They both mean true chosen one, right? Right? In Jewish term they refer to the one anointing that anointing was as king don't don't miss the implication of what Peter professes here Peter has just answered I believe you are the chosen King Jesus I believe that you have come from God Peter is making a bold a heartfelt declaration of allegiance Beyond this, I think Peter implies something. I think Peter is saying, not only are you the one chosen to be king, but I I, want to be a part of your kingdom when you take your throne. So don't miss the culture in which Peter says this, when Peter says that he has just crossed the line of treason in the eyes of Rome. Israel is occupied by Rome, and in Rome, there's only one king. Caesar, Peter is making a risky declaration. And I also don't, don't, don't want you to miss the, the personal element of this. When you and I choose to become Christ followers, we make the same declaration of allegiance. How many of you made this confession? I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I take him to be my Lord, my master, my king, and my savior. We call it the good confession. But the confession we make is a pledge to become part of the kingdom in which Jesus is the ruler. Are you following me? So what is that kingdom? Listen to how Jesus described his kingdom in verse 17. Jesus replied, bless are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it i will give you the keys of the kingdom the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth y'all, y'all hear this will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven Now, number one, the numbers I I, I, I share with you uh, in the beginning of this message about the state of the American church are the pressing, if you really think about it. In Ed uh, uh, Steiser's book, Comeback uh, Churches, he gives 10 reasons why Jesus chose the church. And I want to express three of them today. I won't go over 10, but I want to give you three reasons why the church. Say that with me, three reasons why the church. All right, you ready? Number one, the church is the only New Testament institution that Jesus specifically uh, promised to bless and to build. I know you're saying, I don't know about that. Just hold on. Did you catch it? Peter is blessed because of his confession. And Jesus said on that confession, he will build his church. He's building his church on a confession. Think about that. Jesus never specifically promised to bless the independent order of odd fellows. He never specifically promised to build uh the shriners. He didn't promise to build the VFW if you're part of that. He never uh, promised to build the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. Jesus never promised to build and, and uh, be bless and build Christian colleges, even though that's that's good. These organizations and institutions have a place, but they never specifically received Jesus' promise. The only New Testament institution Jesus promised to bless was the church. And I could never make a point today that that, that this even includes the United States. The only nation God promised a blessing to was Israel. And I believe that that blessing was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if the nation of Israel has a role in God's future plan or not. But even if it does, it is an Old Testament promise. Don't don't throw me out yet. Hear the whole thing. The only. New Testament institution Jesus promised to bless and build was the church. If that is true, then the kingdom of God will be will not be built on Americanism. Ooh, it's quiet in here now. The kingdom of God is not always defined by American values. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. Please don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. I spent 20 years in the United States Air Force. Retired. Hallelujah. Now I've been a veteran for quite some time. I retired 20 years. Hallelujah. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. America can be a blessing but it is not the institution Jesus promised to bless or to be. That's not to say we haven't been blessed the reason I think America has been blessed is because it started with some kingdom principles are you still listening to me you haven't shut me off yet right it's it but it is not the kingdom even though America is blessed and I believe it is because I live here it is not When you gonna to get to heaven, it's not gonna be an American heaven. It's not gonna be an England heaven. Not gonna be an Africa heaven. Huh? It's not gonna be a ghetto heaven. Not gonna be a Bourbon Street heaven. Huh? The kingdom of God, that's right, for everybody. The kingdom of God is really not flesh and blood. Because you're going to have to change and get a new body to be in the kingdom of God. So watch this. I said all to say this. The church is the kingdom. See, this right here, you know, uh, some of you all are looking kind of strange because you're saying, I don't know, do I have that right?" right? Keep listening. So that carries even further. I hope you don't hear me wrong on this. But the Constitution is not the Word of God. It is not a divinely inspired document. In fact, the constitution of our day and the kingdom of Jesus established are often at odds with each other. The constitution tries to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the Bible declares that we have life service defined in terms of slavery and pursuit of holiness. So if you want to be the church, if you want to be built and to be blessed, we need to make sure we are acting as Christ's followers before we act as. And I, oh, God, I'm already in trouble. We must first act as Christians or Christ's followers before we act as Americans. And the really cool thing about it uh, is that if we act as the church, even if all those other institutions falter, even if they are dismantled or forgotten, the kingdom of God, the church, will still stand. It's Jesus' guarantee. reason number one, why the church? Jesus made a New Testament promise to build and to bless it. Reason number two, I'm I'm glad he almost finished. The church will ultimately triumph both universally and locally. Jesus said it in our text, the gates of hell would not stand against it. So the church is Jesus' choice of offensive weapons. Ooh, ooh. The church is because we don't fight against flesh and blood anyway we fight against principalities how huh? a uh, 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 spiritual wickedness huh in high places well yeah most people get afraid of you when you start talking about pulling down strongholds and rebuking the devil and spirits and all those kind of things you are in a spiritual warfare Eden when Adam said that's how we got into this spiritual warfare anyway because of disobedience and since we in it by God we're going to fight and we're going to win Ain't no sense of being in this spiritual warfare. You don't want to fight to win. I don't know nobody. Just say, I'm just going to fight and lose anyway. No, sir, no, ma'am. We're going to fight to win. And if you go to the end of the Bible and you go to Revelation, you'll find out that we already have already won. Look down your road and tell everybody it's a fixed fight and we've already won I don't care what you go down go through down here on this earth you already have won. why because he said it I don't care what I got to endure I don't care what I got to go through I've already won why cuz he said all I want you to do is fight the good fight of faith All you got to do is protect your faith. You got to believe God when it seems like it's unbelievable. You got to believe God even though you're going through it and you got to cry your way through it. You got to walk through it and you you got pain everywhere. You still believe God because of what God said because he is a God that cannot and will not lie. He is a God of truth. If he promises something, he's a God that keeps his promises. Hallelujah. And here's the deal. It's not over when this here life is over. I'm just beginning because in Christ, I have a new life. In Christ, I have eternity. Once you accept Jesus Christ, your eternity has already started. And so whatever the devil do now from here on out, it does not matter because I'm already in eternity. I get all the things I want. Yes, I want some more things, not because I want them because they just have them. No, I need more so that I can help build the kingdom of God. See, I need more because I want to see more folks saved. I want to see more folks healed and delivered and set free. Can you say amen? I want to be a model citizen of the kingdom of God to show everybody else that God take care of his son, that God take care of his child. Since I got to be on this earth anyhow, God, I want to show the world let God take care of his children you, listen don't don't shot me down you can do more when you got more to work with yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. ain't but a few of y'all with me on there, but say, those that are with me say I can, I can do more when I got more to work with, to work with. hallelujah Bible already told me, he'll give me the desires of my heart. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's why you got to know your Bible. Because you got some people that want to put your fire out. They're like a little sour puss. They always come around to just put your fire out. You on fire for God. You happy about life. And they were so happy about, so good about it. Why you always happy? Why you always, why you always want to talk about how good thing is? around like bad luck sled rock or somebody the devil is a liar I am fearfully and wonderfully made the devil might attack my body but I'm gonna bounce back honey The devil might have tried, but whatever he tried, it did not work. If God be for me, who will be against me? A thousand have fallen at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. I am God's chosen child of destiny, and whatever God has for me, it is for me. And I don't care who don't like it, but I'm on my way up. If I got to encourage myself, I'm going to go higher. If I got to shake my own hand, I'm going to go on forward. If I got to pat myself on the back, I'm going to make it. I can say, hey, you in Christ, you can make it through this thing. What you talking about, many of us had the virus or whatever like that, but we made it through it. Didn't stop there. Didn't stop nothing. We kept on praising the Lord. We kept on thanking him for what he did. We said, thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for starting us on our way. Thank you for putting food on my table. Thank you for giving me life, health, and strength. You didn't take me out with that. Why? Because God is backing me up. It's not over until God says so. Some of you looking at me now, you, you ain't moved yet, you're sitting there looking like you're looking at television or something like that, but I'm telling you right now, God has been good to you. And if god been good to you, you ought to show some signs. If god been good to you, you ought to let other folk know that I didn't make it here for 40, 50, 60, 70 years on my own accord, but it was God that kept me here. Yeah. I don't care if you don't like it. You can't do nothing about it. Hallelujah. So the church is an offensive weapon. Are y'all hearing me? Come on, somebody say the church is an offensive weapon. Y'all can sit down. I find it amazing when people who who profess to follow Christ fear hell. Hell has been locked up. I'm talking good now satan is on the defense we the church is on the offense satan is on the defense and let me use a different analogy to help illustrate this Uh, if satan and his team were playing baseball they would always be on defense think about that think about that if a team spent all their time on defense in baseball can they score no Hell is playing defense against the kingdom in a losing battle. Hell can get outs, but it can't get any runs across the plate to win the game. Are you following me? So when Jesus established the church as his kingdom, he guaranteed the win. Come on now. You being the church, because the church is not this building. Let me get that straight. You are the church. We just so happy to come to this place together so that we can get the word and so that we can sharpen each other. But you are the church. You are the ecclesial, the ecclesia. You are the called out one. You follow me? And so, when Jesus established the church as a kingdom, he guaranteed to win. You are guaranteed to win. Come on, say that with me. I am guaranteed to win. Come on, say it in your preacher's voice. Say, I am guaranteed to win. Now, you know that about yourself. Tell the other person down in your own. Say, you are guaranteed to win. So Jesus gives us a glimpse into the future. Do you remember the movie uh, Indiana Jones? Some say he took a gamble to step out on the ledge. If you remember that, that, he had a lot of them, but that particular movie. For him to step out was a sure thing. Ooh. For us to step out in faith is a sure thing. Saints of God, church, the ecclesia, we have a sure thing. Ah uh, we are operating on a sure thing. Other folk not sure where they're gonna end up. But we are sure that if we're in Christ. We'll be in his eternal kingdom. Can you say amen? And so we know who the winners are. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a gamble for us. It's a sure thing. Come on, say it with me. It's a sure thing. It's a sure thing, baby, that if I'm in Christ, I have eternal life are you following me this morning? It's a sure thing. Jesus is, in this passage, guarantees the sure thing. The gates of Hades will not be able to stand against the church. We have a sure thing. The church is a sure thing because he pulled us out. He saved us with his own blood. He resurrected from the grave. And because he lives, we are guaranteed to live as well. We are operating on a sure thing. A sure thing if you're in Christ, uh, if you die in Christ, you will be in Christ forever. Yeah. I'm operating on a sure thing so we don't have to, uh, we, don't, we don't have to uh, mope about how culture changes and about the demise of the church. The church can and will ultimately win locally and universally. Uh, it's, it, it, is, is that not encouraging as we talk about being the church? We are the church and God gave us a guarantee. There's a whole lot of people that give guarantees, but they do not hold fast to their guarantee. God has given us a guarantee that we are working in a new way and he will ultimately cause us to win. And we don't have to worry or doubt about anything. We don't have to fear about anything. We don't have, listen, you know what fear is, right? What is fear? False evidence appearing real. That's what fear is. false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R. So the the devil deals with fear, but God deals with life. He always want to make you fearful so you can miss out on God. He wants to make you afraid. See a lot of folks they don't want to live for God, but they're scared to die. See no, 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 when you're in Christ, you are not fearing death because you know death for the saints is not a demotion, it is a promotion. Can you say amen? Christ kept, we all gonna have to cross that uh-huh that road one day. Yes, and so. The third reason why the church, why the, why the church, Bishop, I'm glad to tell you, the church is the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. So where do y'all see that? Well, Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So there is a, a direct relationship between the seen and the unseen. There's a direct relationship, uh, a promise between the spiritual and material. And so this takes place in the context of the church. The church is the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. So have you ever uh, recited the model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, huh, where? As it is in heaven. So that's that's that model prayer, right? It's the same concept. If this is true, then when people look at the church within the community, they should see a little piece of heaven. Oh, don't miss that. Don't miss that. So the church is supposed to be an earthly expression of the heavenly reality. So now I know the objection, some people are thinking that the church is far from the reality of heaven. And some, uh, being part of the church, can feel like hell rather than heaven when you just here on the earth. But please remember that we are an imperfect expression. Scripture tells us that right now we see dimly as if looking at our image in a price of dull metal or frosted glass. So while the church is to be an expression of the heavenly reality, we see it and we do so imperfectly. But that does not excuse us from not reflecting heaven at all. So what if we took this idea, the church being an expression of heavenly reality, and we ran with it as we strive to be the church? What if the world saw the sins of injustice and opposition or oppression being bound? What if they saw healing and generosity and meaningful uh, fellowship being loosed? What if they saw us being the kingdom for the king and not just coming to church? We have looked at this question. Why the church? We have seen that the answer is tied to the answer, who is Jesus? And so today we must each begin to answer the question, who is Jesus? And some will leave answering from the heart, Jesus is a myth. And as uh, his church then, we won't offer a real sacrifice. We won't accept the promise of life. We will become the power of this world and hide behind the gates of the church. And you see, if Jesus is a myth, we won't make much of a sacrifice to be the church. Others will leave Jesus as a prophet. And I call the Peter Parker problem, uh, where, you know, I watch Spider-Man, praise the Lord. and the movie Spider-Man too. Peter Parker is supposed to go and see his girlfriend, Mary Jane, as she performs in a Broadway play. However, because he gets caught up in being Spider-Man, he is late arriving. And when he arrived, the doors were closed. And the usher doesn't allow him to enter during the performance. And so his seat remains empty. And after the play he finished, Mary Jane discovered Peter waiting outside. And he can't tell her that he's Spider-Man, so he says, something came up. And she says this line, Peter, I'm tired of, of the excuses. I'm tired of the disappointment. That's all you really are to me is an empty chair. So we learned that to some of the Jews of Jesus' day and to many traditional Jews today, the Messiah remains an empty chair to them. What about you and me? Is Jesus just an empty chair? Is Jesus just a good teacher? And I love C.S. Lewis, his response to the question in his book, *Mere Christianity. He writes this. He says, he writes, I'm trying to prevent someone from foolishly saying I'm really or I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. C.S. Lewis says he would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a parched egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. That's what C.S. said. Whether this man was and is the son of God or else a madman who something or, or something worse? You can't shut him up for a fool. You can split him, at, uh, spit at him, and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with a, a patronizing nonsense about him, about his being as great human teacher. He has not let that open to him that has not left that open to us he did not intend to so the question is what about you is Jesus the Christ the Messiah is Jesus the one promised by God the anointed by God to establish a new kingdom as a church have you and I chosen him to be the Lord and Savior What have we chosen to do? And as we conclude, as we go to our closing, I'm done now because I got you thinking now. I think it is important to realize that this passage is used as a pattern of the confession we make for salvation. And so, my question to you this morning have you made your statement? Have you? Decided to make Jesus your your choice. Why the church? Because God uses the church as an offensive weapon against the enemy, Satan in the world, to bring others to safety from being eternally lost. And so, he's using you and I as offensive weapons, not to sit on our derriere and sit on the stool of do nothing and go day to day and week to week and Sunday to Sunday or Monday to Monday and never open your mouth to say anything about God or to say anything about anybody. What good are you to be chosen by God and not be used of God to bring somebody else to God? That's why you are the church I've called you out to call others out so that they can call others out and so they can cause others out and when they call others out then they call others out and that one calls another one out and that one calls another one out it's perpetuating the offensive weapon, then Satan will take over everything. That's why he said that you are the salt of the earth and salt brings flavor everywhere it's sprinkled. Now we might all be here at the same time, but in just a few minutes, we're going to say, ready, break. And we're going to break the huddle and you're going to go over here and you're going to go over there and you're going to go over here and you're going to go over there and they're going to go over there and she's going to go somewhere else and he's going to go another place and we're going to be sprinkled all over this city and we're going to bring flavor to this city. Why? Because we're the church. And if the church has lost its flavor, if the church has lost its saltiness, then what good of it? I submit to you this morning that God is calling on the church. He's calling us to be who he has called us to be. When you got salt, you got When you got salt, you got power. And I know that God has assigned his power to his church. We are not weak as some people may suppose. We are not done like some folks think we are done. But I found out that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. You are great because God says you're great. You're great because you got all your blood flowing through your veins. Whether you know it or not, you are somebody. Take your hand and say, I'm somebody. Not just because I say I'm somebody, but God made me somebody. Because if I was not anybody, he would have called me to die before I got to my mother's womb. Uh, or he would have called me to die while I was in the womb. Uh, uh, he will have called me to have crib death, and I wouldn't have seen the years that I've seen. Uh, but through all of the tragedy and the trauma, uh, through all of going through everything that I've been through up until now, uh, through it all, God has brought me this far. Uh, somebody just wave their hand and say, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Uh, through it all. Uh, He has brought me through many rivers. Uh, I've crossed over mountains. Uh, I've been in the valley low. Uh, But God brought me all the way. can you say amen? Uh, I might not have liked the trip and how everything I had to go through. Uh, I might not have liked all of the ups and downs that I had to go through. Uh, I might not have liked all of the pains and, and all. That I had on me, uh, I might not like all of the things that people said about me. Uh, I might have not like how my kinfolk treated me, like the black sheep of family. I might not like how they've treated me on the job. I might not like how I was in my career. But one thing I know is that God was protecting me all the time. He brought me through all of that. And he's taking me through what I'm going through right now. Can anybody here witness in this room that God is taking you through what you're going through right now? And if you want to know anything about it, God is bringing me through, sister. Can you say amen? Why should I die and quit right now when I got the greatest one to back me up? Why should I back down if God is backing me up? Can you say amen? And if I know anything about God at my weakest, he said, let the weak say I'm strong. At my brokers, he said that let the poor say I'm rich. I'm here to tell you if a broke you can't keep me down uh, if I'm sick you can't keep me down uh, if I'm going through you can't keep me down because uh, whatever I'm going through uh, God uh, say I got to say the opposite uh, so death and life is in the power of the tongue uh, so if I'm feeling sick I say oh, my healing is on the way uh, can you say amen uh, if I don't have two buffalo nickels to rub together I can say that God is my provider Uh, He's rich in houses and land. Uh, He holds the whole wide world uh, in the palm of his hand. Uh, I cannot lose uh, if I'm on God's squad. Uh, I cannot lose uh, if I'm on Jesus' side. Uh, Can you say amen? I got the greatest one in the world uh, that's working in my corner. Uh, Can you say amen? Uh, I'm in the fight of my life. Uh, Will you tell the folk on your roll, say, I'm in the fight of my life. I'm fighting for my life. Uh, but tell us say, guess what? Uh, I got my trainer in the corner, uh, and my cor- my trainer in the corner uh, is Jesus the Christ. Uh, he's telling me to go ahead. Uh, I'm about to get me a break in a minute. Uh, when the bell rings, uh, I go to the corner, uh, and my trainer says, uh, you're gonna be all right. Uh, get back in there. Uh, fight the good fight of faith. Uh, you Cannot lose Uh, all you need to do is keep standing, Uh, stand in the power of God. Uh, You got to be still standing. Uh, I'm standing in by faith, Uh, I'm standing by the word, Uh, I'm standing by the power of God. Uh, Can you say amen? Uh, Sometimes uh, I don't know how I'm standing, Uh, I don't know why I'm standing, Uh, I don't know how I got to stand, uh, but I'm still standing say amen. Wave your hand to somebody say, stand. 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 Stand in the power of God. Stand in his firmament. Stand while you know that you can't stand. Can you say amen? And if you try to knock me down, I'm just like that toy years ago. You can knock me down, but I'll spring right back up. Can you say amen? When you knock me down, I'll stand right back up. I feel like a palm tree. Let the wind blow, let the storm come, let the hurricane turn, let the tornado come. But I will stand. I'll spring right back up. You knock me down, I'll get back up. A righteous man may fall seven times back up again, I believe it's about time for the church to get back up again. Shout yeah, yeah. can do, stand again, shout yeah, yeah.